Today, I'm starting a new series on the heroes of the Bible. But before I present the story of Moses, the servant and the man of God, I wish to introduce somebody special to me and special to thousands of people around the world. That person is my wife, Beverly, who has some special words of wisdom for you today. Would you please welcome her? Passengers on a jetliner were relaxing in their seats for the long flight. The voice over the loudspeaker had just announced that the aircraft had reached its cruising altitude and that passengers were free to unfasten their seat belts and move about the cabin. Then the voice continued. Ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to announce that you are flying on the maiden voyage of one of our brand new fully automated jetliners. These new jetliners are the pride of our fleet and have no need for pilot, co-pilot or navigator. About this time your knees start knocking. All human error has been eliminated. You needn't be alarmed as everything from cabin pressure to speed and altitude is completely controlled by our computer. We're excited about the world's first fully automated airplane and we hope you are too. So just sit back, relax, and remember, nothing can go wrong. Nothing can go wrong. Nothing can go wrong. Nothing can go wrong. Nothing. The computer crashed and so did the plane. Fortunately, this story is futuristic and hasn't happened yet. However, Things do go wrong, don't they? Not only with computers, but also in our lives. Sometimes troubles come through our own foolish decisions and choices. Some troubles come because of the wrong actions of others. And then there are times in our lives when things just happen seemingly without reason. Whatever the cause... God has promised in Romans 8:28 that he will bring good out of every difficult and tragic situation. It seems we grow strong mainly in times of adversity rather than times of prosperity, and I sure wish that it could be the other way around. We're much like the butterfly emerging from its cocoon. I remember the story of a little boy watching this miracle for the first time. First, a small opening appeared in the cocoon, and he sat and watched the butterfly for several hours as it struggled to force its body through that little opening. Then it seemed to stop, as if it couldn't go any further. The young boy, growing a little impatient, decided to help the butterfly by taking a pair of scissors and snipping off the remaining bit of the cocoon, just like we try to help God out at times. The butterfly then emerged easily, but it spent the rest of its short life crawling around with a swollen body and shriveled wings. It never was able to fly. What the boy, in his kindness and haste, did not understand was that the restricting cocoon and the struggle required for the butterfly to get through that tiny opening was a part of God's plan. This struggle forced the fluid from the body of the butterfly into its wings, 
so that it would be ready for flight once it achieved its freedom from the cocoon. The strenuous effort and struggle gave the butterfly strength and health so that it could soar with the eagles. Well, not quite, but you know what I mean. And so it is with us. If God allowed us to go through life without any obstacles, it would leave us weak and not very smart. How does a baby learn to walk? It falls over and it picks itself up time and time again until it is strong enough and has the stability to walk. If parents carried it around all the time, the baby would never learn and just like the poor butterfly would end up a cripple. That doesn't mean the parent isn't hovering in the background, offering moral support, encouragement and a helping hand as needed. And that's just the same as God with us. I asked God for strength and he gave me difficulties to make me strong. Today, I'm starting a new series, three in the series, on the great heroes of the human race, the great heroes of the Bible. Today, we're going to talk about the man of God, Moses, this man who could have been the Pharaoh. Next week, we're going to talk about the greatest man who has ever lived, greater than Moses, and that is Jesus Christ. Then the week later, we're going to talk about the man who's made a tremendous impact all around the world, continues to this very day, that is the Apostle Paul. Why would a person consider that Moses is such a great person? What did Moses really do that is so extraordinary? Moses, I believe, was born around 1530 BC, yet his influence is felt today like very few other people. Moses was the person who gave, through God, the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are the very foundation of all civilization. If you go to those countries, as I have around the world, if you take a world trip, go to those countries that honor the Ten Commandments and you'll find peace and prosperity. Go to those countries where the commandments are despised and there you have anarchy, poverty, all types of wretched conditions. Moses, the man of God, who gave us the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are given for all people of all races, in all times, in all places, starting with Argentina. I have a friend here today who is a member of my church, the Community Adventist Fellowship that meets at 100 West Duarte Road, Arcadia, on Saturday mornings, and his name is Jose Salgati. Would you welcome him today, please? And he's going to read to us the first of the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Thank you. And then we have with us also, thank you so much, Jose, Elias Mercado, who represents the people of 
Mexico. Mexico. He will read to us the next commandment. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, by showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God bless you, Brother Elias. To the north of the United States of America is the great land of Canada. And we have with us today a citizen of that land, Pastor Norman Matico, who will read to us the third commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Thank you. Thank you. And then way down south in Latin America is the beautiful land of Chile. And Mrs. Susan Pirano represents the people of, of Chile. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Thank you, Mrs. Pirano. And from the land of the Philippines, Willie Torres, who is a new member of our congregation. Honor thy father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land, and the Lord your God is giving you. Thank you, Willie. And from the land of Albania, so far away in Eastern Europe, we have a very lovely lady. She's a new member of our church, Anelia Mayhew. Glad to see you, Anelia. You shall not murder. I think you should have read that twice because you almost caught me. Thank you so much, Anelia. And then to represent the vast land of Africa, Elma Dixon. And you will know her because she has appeared on some television programs. Elma, thank you. You shall not commit adultery. Thank you so very much, Elma. And to represent the United States of America, Tom Mayhew. Good to see you, Tom. You shall not steal. Thank you so much, Tom. These words are short, but so very powerful. And these are the words that were written down for us by Moses. And then to represent the land from which her fathers came, we have with us Cindy Tula, who will represent for us today Holland. Good to see you, Cindy. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. And then to represent the great southern land, the land of Australia, and the South Pacific, my wife, Beverly.
You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Thank you. You can keep that. Thank you. Thank you. So it was through the man Moses, who lived more than three and a half thousand years ago, that God gave us the Ten Commandments. Moses is a man that we should think of in this present day and age because he gave to the world the concept of liberty. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, which we call the Pentateuch. And of course, he wrote the book of Exodus, which is the story of how the children of Israel came out of the land of slavery, out of the land of bondage. Moses was the first great liberator of the human race. And Moses believed in the overthrow of tyranny because he believed in the importance of the human being, because he believed in the importance of the individual. Would you please take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and 27. And these are the words of Moses because he wrote this book. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26 and 27. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. As all of you know, I have spent a tremendous amount of my time in the last 10 years in those lands that were ruled by the communists. I've been in those places where they rejected the teachings of the word of God that man is made in the image of God and man is distinct and glorious. And because the Russians and the Ukrainians rejected the concept of God as our father and the truth that man is made in the image of God and therefore tremendously important, those lands have suffered more strife than any other places in the history of the human race. During the 70 years of communism, at least, they say, 70 million murders because they forgot the importance of God and the importance of man. Here is the latest copy of Time magazine. Here it says, How Apes Became Human. What a new discovery tells scientists about how our oldest ancestors stood on two legs and made an evolutionary leap. And so Time magazine says, We have discovered the missing link that man has come down from the trees. Man did not come down from God, he came down from the trees. And so I, I turned to this just yesterday, and of course I wanted to read it. And there it has the story of human evolution, how we started as apes, and how we ended up as human beings today. Quite different to what Moses said. But then as I read on, they say it is a fact. On the front cover of Time, it's a fact. And I get inside... And I read there from Dr. Leakey, who found that 
strange little ape by the name of Lucy. And Dr. Leakey says, there are all sorts of hypotheses. And they are all fairy tales, really, because you can't prove anything. You can't prove anything. They are all fairy stories, and time must have been a slow news day. Man came down from the monkeys, but she says, they're all fairy stories. And then some French people who were there said, the bones they discovered are nothing more than a monkey's uncle or a chimp's great-great-grandfather anyway. Hmm. Nothing but fairy stories. But after three and a half thousand years, my friend, the words come ringing down the corridors of time. In the beginning, God, you see. And then the Bible says, God said, let us make man in our image. That is why Moses was the world's greatest liberator. And that is why he led the people out of the land of Egypt. And that is why we believe in freedom. We didn't get it from the evolutionists. And we didn't get it from the Russians. And we didn't get it from the communists. And we didn't get it from Marx. And we certainly didn't get it from Stalin. We got it from Moses. The man of God. The man of God. So Moses gave to us two, at least two great concepts. Law and liberty. Who was Moses? Today, for a little while, I'm going to talk about his times, his life, and what made him the person that he was and remains today. Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23 and onwards, if you don't mind, dear hearts and gentle people. Hebrews chapter 11, are you glad to be here in church? Yes. Hebrews 11 and verse 23, are you having our wonderful Sabbath day today? Hebrews 11, aren't you glad that you are not related to a monkey? Aren't you glad that you are related to God? Yes. And we believe this because of the teachings of Moses. Hebrews 11 verse 23, by faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. The Bible tells us when Moses was born around 1500 B.C., the children of Israel had been reduced to the place of slaves. The names of Moses' parents 
Amran and Jochebed. Egypt in those days was like the United States of America. It was a superpower. Do not think that this book was born in a primitive society. It was born in the greatest culture. I've seen some of the glory, some of the wealth of all Egypt. And it just boggles the mind. Moses was born in the days of the greatest of the pharaohs. And the king was a dictator. Quite likely, if my interpretation of the chronologies is correct, he was born during the reign of a pharaoh by the name of Amos, who was the leader of a new Egyptian government. And the Bible tells us that during the days of the pharaoh, the people had become slaves, like the blacks had become slaves in the land of the United States of America but only more so. The Bible tells us that this man married this woman and they had a little baby boy. And the Pharaoh said, because the Israelites have become so strong and mighty, every baby boy, not the baby girls, but every baby boy is to be thrown into the river for the crocodiles. And they hid the baby for three months. And then the mother went down to the river. And she said, I've got to do something to save my baby. And she made a little basket. And with her daughter keeping watch, she set Moses on the bosom of the Nile and said goodbye to him. And in the providence of God, the Bible says, you know the story, Pharaoh's daughter came down there to bathe. We think we even know her name, Princess Hatshepsut. I've seen her temples and her palaces, the greatest in the world. And as she went down to bathe with her girls and her slave girls, she saw a little basket and she said, bring it to me. As she opened up the basket, she saw there a beautiful little baby boy with rosy cheeks and a determined look on his face. And she plucked him out of the Nile and she called him Moses, which is an Egyptian word for born of, or a Hebrew word for drawn out of. Some archaeologists have said that quite likely she called him Happy Moses. Her father's name was Tot Moses. Did you know that? Tot Moses, and she most likely called him Happy Moses. Born of the river Nile, the God. Whether that is so or not, it is of no consequence. But as she held the little baby there, she thought, what can I do with this little child? I want him. He's going to be my child. But who's going to nurse this little baby boy? And there was a little Hebrew girl standing there, and she ran up and she said, Princess, can I help you? And she said, yes, I need to find a nurse to take care of my little son. And the little girl said, I know the very nurse. My mother, 
But she didn't say, my mother. And so the princess said to the mother, take the child and look after him and I will pay you good wages. And then they commenced a school, the results of which would shape time and eternity, my friend. The school that met in her home. She had a few years before the princess would come and pluck the baby from her arms and he would be schooled in all the wisdom of the pharaohs because he was going to be the pharaoh. Did you know that? Moses was in line to be the pharaoh. All of the kings during that time, Kamos, Amos, Tatmos, Tatmos the first, the second, none of them had sons, they all had daughters. None of them had natural heirs. And so he was in line to become the pharaoh like the president of the United States of America, only with more power for those days, absolute power, absolute wealth, anything you wanted, great armies, great chariots, so she taught that little boy. She taught him, there's one God and he loves you and one day the Messiah is going to come. I want to say to the mothers here today, how do you feel about day schools? How do you feel about taking your little children and leaving them with strangers who are going to teach them what they believe? I want to say this, and I know I'll get some Ladies, mad with me, but so be it. The most important career that a woman can have is to be a mother and take care of her children at home. Now, this goes against all the popular wisdom, which is not wisdom at all. Some mothers say, because we are liberated, it is bondage to take care of these little things. And therefore, the government ought to take care of our children. It is our right. We wonder why we have so much crime and why there are so many misfits and why there is so much drug taking, let the mothers go back to their role and take care of their children in their homes. That is the teaching of the Word of God. Now, I know, I know mothers will say, but I've got to have a job. I've got to have a career. Why? So I can have a better house. Why? So I can have my own car. I tell you, if you stayed home, maybe you wouldn't need so much stuff. Maybe you wouldn't need so much stuff, but maybe you might have your kids. I met a man once who once came to this church. He said, I'm going to do something wise. And he said it to his wife, and he said it in my presence. He said, I'm going to let my kids do anything they like, and when they grow up, they can make their own decision. What a foolish person. It is asking for disaster. And when the kids one day perhaps get on drugs or something, then they'll come to the church and the pastor and say, oh, look, why did God do this to me? Why isn't God kind? What are all my kids? The problem is, it's what's wrong with you because you're such bad parents. That's why. 
because you walked away from your parents and didn't care about them. I don't care what about your career. I, want to tell, I don't care if you work for Wall Street. I don't care who you work for. The greatest career in the world is to be a mum with a father who stands to take care of the children. Well, that's what Amran did. And she brought forth a little boy. And that little boy changed the world. It is true that the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. And then the Bible tells us that he went to the palace. We're told in the book of Acts, he was told all the wisdom and the knowledge of the Egyptians. There are some people who are so ignorant. They think this book is the product of an ignorant age. I just wish I could take you on one of my trips to Egypt. I wish you could go into the Karnak temple and see the greatest sun temple in the history of the world. Mighty pillars, mighty lintels, mighty statues. I wish you could see the obelisk of Queen Hatshepsut, 97 feet high, once covered with shimmering gold. And realize the greatness, the power, the glory, the great armies. When Moses was growing up in Egypt, the land I love, the pyramids were a thousand years old. This book goes back three and a half thousand years to the days of Moses. And Moses, as I mentioned before, was the heir to the throne. When he went into the king's palace, he would have worn the gorgeous headgear like Pharaoh to Tankamun. Outwardly, he was an Egyptian. But because of his mother, Inwardly, he was a child of God. Inwardly, he was a Hebrew. Because his mother didn't send him to day school. Because his mother didn't depend upon a government check and say to the government, Mr. Bush, take responsibility for my children, please. She was a woman. She was a lady. The Bible tells us when he becomes mature, he's a mighty man. He's about to take over the throne because his mother has become now the Pharaoh. She's a lady Pharaoh. We call her the bearded one because in all the statues she has the beard of the Pharaoh. Tremendous influence and power. One day Moses goes out Outwardly, he's an Egyptian, ready to step on the throne. But inwardly, he's a child of God. And he sees an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrews. And Moses is a man of spirit. He can't stand injustice. He cannot stand social injustice. He cannot stand slavery because he believes in the importance of the individual. And he goes over to the Egyptian and he kills him. He thought that God would use this act to liberate 
his people, but God doesn't act through anger. And the news gets to the Pharaoh, and the heir apparent, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, has to flee. He travels through the desert of Sinai and he comes to a place called Midian. And he's just about finished. I've been to that place in summer. It's as hot as you can imagine. In winter, it's terribly cold. There are serpents, there are scorpions. It's wild, awful country. And then he collapses. He can go no further. Then he hears a little music. It's the music of laughter. The daughters of the priest of Midian are out trying to water their flock. And some people are driving the women away. And the Egyptian and Moses comes forth and he gets up and he beats back those people. And the priest of Midian says, when the daughters come, saying, we have found a man. There's a man there. A man. He says, bring in the man. And he marries the daughter of the priest of Midian, whose name is Zipporah. He has a son. He names his son, I've been a stranger in a strange land, in a weary land. He becomes a shepherd for 40 years. Can you believe it? 40 years in Egypt learning to become a pharaoh. And now for 40 years he lays aside the glory. He steps out of the chariot. And he looks after a bunch of sheep. You know why? God is training him to lead the children of Israel. And so he says, Moses, you better get used to these sheep. Because you're going to get used to my people. And after 40 years, 40 years? Seems to me that God is not in a hurry, you know. What was happening during the 40 years? The lash. The Hebrews crying out, innocent people dying, building great monuments. And Moses is looking after sheep. One day when he's near the mountain of God, he sees a bush, it's blazing away. He says, I'll turn aside and I'll go and see this strange sight while, while the bush is burned, it's burning, it's a fire, but it's not consumed. And Moses, 80 years of age, goes over to the bush, and as he goes over to the bush, he hears a voice. And the voice says, Moses, Moses. The voice says, take off the shoes from off your feet for the place wherein on which you're standing is holy ground. It's God. And God says, I've heard the groanings of your people. And I've come down to deliver them. I'm going to send you 
to Pharaoh. He says, not me. He says, I'm going to send you to the elders of Israel and you're going to say that according to the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the time has come for the people to come out. They've been there for 400 years. 400 years. Probably 200 years as slaves. And he says, if I go to the elders, they're going to ask me, what is your name? What will I tell them? Who sent me? The voice says, I am that I am. It says, I can't talk. Yes, you can. Who made your lips? But I don't want to go. But I want you to go. I've got nothing to go with. He says, what have you got in your hand? A shepherd's rod. It's only a shepherd's rod. God says, I will show you that I can use the most insignificant things to do the greatest acts in the history of the world. He says, take the rod, cast it down. And he casts it down in the desert. It becomes a serpent. He says, Moses, reach it out and take it by the tail. And he takes it by the tail and becomes a rod again. He says, put your hand in your bosom. Take it out. That was the... Put it back in again. So he goes. 80 years of age. Almost forgotten what civilization was like. Sheep, the bleeding of sheep, poverty. The most unsophisticated lifestyle. And he goes down with his brother Aaron who acts as his mouthpiece. And they go in before the Pharaoh. It is a new Pharaoh. And they walk in before the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, Whom do you represent? We represent the kingdom of God. And Jehovah, Yahweh says, Let my people go. What a scene in history. That was around 1450 B.C. Let my people go. I don't know the Lord. I'm not going to let them go. Well, he says, if you don't let them go, the Lord is going to send afflictions upon you and you'll drive them out. And as time goes by and as Pharaoh hardens his heart, God increases the pressure. And I, uh, I just want to tell you about this. Firstly, the river became blood. It didn't convince them. Well, God said, I'm going to send you frogs. The frogs are everywhere. Then God says, if that doesn't do it, I'm going to send you lice. They're itching and scratching. Then God says, I'm going to send you flies. And the air is filled with flies. Then God says, I'm going to send you disease upon your animals. And then God says, all right, you're not ready to let my people go. I'm going to send you boils. And the Bible says that the wise men, the pharaohs, counselors can't stand up before Moses because they're covered in sores, boils. And then God says, you still won't let them go? 
Moses, my servant, is going to stretch out his hands to the heavens. He stretch out, stretches out his hands to the heavens. In Egypt, it never rains, seldom. But there comes a storm like Egypt has never seen, and there's great big lumps of hail, and the Bible says the fire that runs along the ground. And then God says, you're still not listening? Still not listening, Tutmos? I'm going to send you locusts. And the locusts come and they eat everything. But the king hardens his heart. And then God says, I'm going to send you darkness so dark that you can feel it. And then God says, Israel is my firstborn. You won't let my firstborn go. I'm going to kill your firstborn. Moses says, Pharaoh, the angel of God is going to pass through the land and every firstborn child, son, is going to die. He says there's only one way you can escape it. You've got to kill an animal. You've got to get the blood, the blood of a lamb, and put it over your door. And when I see the blood, I'll pass by. People tell me those folks didn't have any knowledge of the gospel. They were saved by the blood, saved by grace. Some time back, not very long ago, I was at the great sun temple in Thebes. And Tutmosis III actually has a palace there. I believe he was the pharaoh of the Exodus. I went to the palace and I stood there and I thought about it all. The angel of death, the son of Tutmos. There's a whale that goes through the land of Egypt and every firstborn child dies, including the crown prince. And the Pharaoh who'd said to Moses, next time you see my face, I'll kill you. He calls Moses in and he says, go, 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 go. And they go. But the Bible says, his heart is still hard. And so Pharaoh gets 600 of the best chariots, hundreds of thousands of soldiers, and they follow the Egyptians who are caught between a mountain and the Red Sea. Behind them are the Egyptians and the chariots and blood and death, and before them is the Red Sea. The people are just filled with fear. And there's a man of 80 years of age with a rod in his hand. And he comes and he stands and he gazes over the Red Sea and he says, go forward. And the people of God responding to the command of one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world marched into the Red Sea. And as they march into the Red Sea, God works a miracle and the waters open up and they go through on dry land. Faith 
faith. Then the Egyptians coming after them. Moses stands on the opposite shore. He holds out his rod. And in the name of God, he calls the sea back together. And the waves come in. I had a remarkable experience. David and I, a couple of years ago, were in the Valley of the Kings. This was David's first trip to Egypt. And he thought it was absolutely wonderful, particularly the Karnak Temple, which is the most magnificent temple probably in the history of the world. We went to the Valley of the Kings, one of my favorite places. That's where you have all the great pharaohs buried, all the Amoses, the Kamoses, and the Tutmoses. They just opened up the tomb of Tutmoses III. I believe he was the pharaoh who said, I won't let Israel go. We were given permission. I think we were about the first people allowed inside the tomb. We went inside the tomb of Tutmoses III. I know this is hard to believe, but it is God's truth. The guide said to us, the tomb was finished in haste. They did not expect to finish this tomb, to be forced to finish it so quickly. You see, we are told by the scribes of the ancient Egyptians that Tutmoses the third died March 17, 1450 BC. And if you go strictly according to the chronologies of the Bible writers, Moses took the children of Israel through the Red Sea in March of 1450 BC. And so I went into this tomb. I'd been in many tombs, but not into the tomb of the Pharaoh of the Exodus. So my heart was beating a little faster. The tomb had been finished in haste. Then we came to a wall. And I think we have the only videotape in the world of this because they don't like you taking pictures of this. There on the wall of the tomb of Tutmosis is a picture of the sea. And in the water, bodies floating. It's never been photographed. You can't photograph it. They won't let you. But we have some videotape of it. I stood there and I thought, the Bible is true, it is true, it is true, and God is great. They went through the Red Sea. Moses led them through the Red Sea. He led them into the wilderness. And because of their rebellion and their perversity and their selfishness, they were there for 40 years. I've driven from Jerusalem to Cairo in one day. They took 40 years to take a journey that you can do on foot in two weeks. And they, they were, the Bible says, a stubborn, self-willed people who rebelled against God and the servant of God. And towards the end of the 40 years, Moses was 120, an old man of God. 
The people were complaining because there was no water. They were always complaining, always complaining, always criticizing. God said, go to the rock and speak to the rock. Don't strike the rock, but go to the rock and tell the water to come out. Moses went to the rock and he took his rod and he was old and he was tired and for once in his life he was fed up. And he struck the rock twice and he said, you rebels, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? The water came. And God said, Moses, you can't go over the Jordan. You're going to die in this land. Moses said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I'm tired, I'm old. Moses, you failed to honor me before the people. You can't go over. He said, Lord, let me go into that goodly land. Don't talk to me again about it, Moses. You know why God said that? If he talked anymore, he would have talked him into it because he knew Moses as a friend face to face. The time came, Moses was 120, God said, this is the day. He said goodbye to the people, he preached them the word of God that's recorded in Deuteronomy. In his last sermon he used the words that you will see on our war memorials in Christian countries. The eternal God is thy refuge. Round about are the everlasting arms. He went up the mountain, up Mount Nebo, to Pisgah's height. God showed him all the promised land in a vision. The Bible says, like an old warrior, he lay down and died. And the Bible says, and he, with a capital H, buried him there. God buried him there. God said, you can't go over, but God came down and he buried him there. And a little while later, God came down and said, Moses, I couldn't take you into the promised land, but I'm going to do something better for you. God raised Moses from the dead. Moses is in heaven. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, there was Moses, strong and young. He's alive. Book of Jude said that the Lord had an confrontation with Lucifer over the body of Moses. And the Lord turned to Lucifer and said, the Lord rebuke you. Lucifer said, you can't take him home because he has sinned like I did. But Jesus said, I can take him home because I'm going to pay his ransom with my blood. Moses is home. So Moses became the greatest of the great, who gave us the Ten Commandments and all the teachings, the first five books of the Bible, because he had a mother who didn't believe in day school. 
who cared for him. I know some mothers, because of situations, have no alternative but to send their children. That ought to be the exception, not the rule as it has become in America. So Moses is Moses because of his mother. He was a man of great character, uncompromising integrity, honesty. He was a great lawgiver, a great historian, a great philosopher, a great poet, a great prophet, a great general, because he was a great man of God. That's why he said those words, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The eternal God is your refuge and round about and underneath are the everlasting arms. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When we were over in the Cairo Museum, I've had this experience twice now, they have what is called the Royal Mummy Room. You know, I love Egypt. I love the story of the pharaohs. And we went into the royal mummy room, the second time I've been there. When I went into the royal mummy room, I get goosebumps. I feel this is something extraordinary. There are some, we have this on videotape, there are some of the greatest men in the history of the human race. Ramesses is there. Ramesses, which is Ra-Moses. Born of Ra, the sun god. Ra-Moses, Tat-Moses, Ka-Moses. Ra-Moses is there. Other great pharaohs. I have looked, I've actually seen Tat-Moses III. I've got pictures of him. See his teeth, his hair, his fingers, his toes? Is it really Tut Moses? Is that you, Tut Moses? Are you the man who said, who is Jehovah, that I should obey him? Are you the man who fought God's man? You don't have much to say here. <laughs> what are you? They wanted to move a mummy once in the days of the British. And the only way they could move it was under the category of dried fish. The great man who made the world tremble, dried fish. So I walked around, David with a little camera taking pictures. And I thought, Moses, 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 you won the battle. Moses, Moses, you made the right decision, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses, Moses, where are you today? You're not here in this room with Carl Moses. You're not here with Ram Moses. No, you are home in glory. Therefore, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? Lose his own soul. Moses, lawgiver, liberator, the man who gave us the Ten Commandments, 
the man who gave us liberty and freedom, who let the slaves go, is home in heaven because Moses turned his back on the silver and the gold and the baubles of this world and chose Christ and the people of God. Amen.